This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the show for another week. Just a reminder, this program is available as a podcast by going to SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, iTunes or Spotify and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. Coming up on this week's show, we're going to be chatting to American Jessica Blecker, who's put pen to paper with the Collingwood Football Club and will play for them this VFLW season. We also catch up with Michael Currett from AFL Island Women's to talk about an international Aussie Rules test match that was played between the universities of Ireland and the universities of Great Britain. We also review round nine of the Sanford Women's Competition with Alison Schiller, and we preview the upcoming round of the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division with Lauren Hodgson and the QAFLW competition with Ant Wingard. But first, here's the latest women's footy news. After last week's show, it was the Saints that were doing all the signings in the AFLW initial trade and signing period for the 2020 season. They picked up Courtney Munn from the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos, Jess Sedenry from the Adelaide Crows, and Cat Phillips from Melbourne. Their biggest recruits were Nat Exxon and Kate McCarthy from the Brisbane Lions, and Kate spoke about her decision to sign with St Kilda. For me, the most exciting part is that it's a brand new team, um, so we get to play a role in in shaping the culture of the club um, and also be the first um, women that, that play for St Kilda. Now, out of all the retirements and delistings announced over the last couple of weeks, the most interesting one is to see a retirement from Jenna McCormick. Now, it's a retirement for now from the AFLW competition as she turns her attention to playing soccer full-time. Previously, she was balancing her W League commitments along with playing in the AFLW. She had played soccer overseas and there's hopes for her to get into the Matildas squad. So we await to see Jenna McCormack's future in the round ball code. The AFL have announced the priority selections for the AFLW draft. Now, of course, these can be traded as part of the second AFLW trade and signing period going on at this very moment. But as it stands of recording, uh, Richmond was given priority selection number one and the number one pick in the draft, bumping Collingwood back to second. Uh, St Kilda's first priority selection will come in at number five. Richmond will have their second priority selection at number seven in the draft. And St Kilda will have their second priority selection at pick number nine. There's been some compensation picks for the Brisbane Lions in the first round. Uh, They'll have picks 15, 16 and 17. That's courtesy of losing Kate McCann. McCarthy to St Kilda, Sabrina Frederick to Richmond and Mackenzie Dowrick to the West Coast Eagles. There's a bunch of priority selections and compensation picks as well uh, to begin round two. Uh, The order will be like this. West Coast, the Lions, the Dockers, the Suns, the Giants, the Bulldogs and Richmond. All of that is available on the women's.afl website. Uh, But as we said, they can still be traded. At the moment, the speculation is that Richmond will give up pick number one to the Western Bulldogs for Monique Conti, and it believed that Collingwood will try and do some type of deal with Carlton, which will involve probably pick two going to the Blues for Bree Davey going to the Magpies. So watch this space. Joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival Digital Radio. A woman we chatted with last year. She's an American who made her way down to Australia. She originally began out in Darwin, then moved down to Melbourne. When we last spoke, she was trying to decide between the Keelor or Pasco Vale football clubs. Well, now she's got an even bigger club to choose from. 
We'll talk about that a little bit later on. It's great to speak with Jess Blecker of the Portland Sockeyes. Jess, how are you? Hey, Peter. It's great to talk to you again. I'm well. How are you? Not too bad at all, and I'm thinking that uh, you are feeling mighty refreshed from standing on top of Mount Kosciuszko, I believe, about 24 hours ago. <laughs> yes, it's much nicer to be down here. It's a little warmer than at the top of the highest mountain, but yeah. How on earth did you find your way there? And mind you, in Canberra as well. Um, one of my really good friends is a GWS fan, and I'm a pretty big Frio fan, so we wanted to go out to the game in Canberra because I've also never been there. Um, and then if we're going to drive all the way, I thought might as well stop by Kosciuszko on the way, climb the highest mountain, and then head back to Melbourne. You had been in Darwin uh, last year, and then you made your way down to Melbourne. Uh, you had a choice between the Keelor Football Club and the Pasco Vale Football Club. So as an American that's just come to Melbourne for the first time, what stood out to you about the Keelor Football Club? I really liked the players from the club. I thought it had a really good environment. Um, and then the coaching staff, uh, Emma Carey, who's now at Carlton, um, VFLW, she was our coach and just led everyone really well. And so kind of drew me to them, hoping to have a really successful season. And in the first few games, if I'm correct, you actually uh, yo-yoing a little bit between the seconds and the first. Was it a case of them just trying to find some confidence of, hey, can this American play? Um, and, and what feedback were you taking on at that stage? Because obviously Nightcliff only just had the one side. You're getting used to the concept of seniors and reserves. Yeah, so I um, was played in the reserve side the first game. It was a pretty big uh, Good Friday game too, so it was kind of... Um different experience but an amazing one um and then after that was played on the senior side I think they wanted to make sure that I had the the traits they wanted from their senior side um and then it's just learning the game you know playing in the states is so different than playing in Australia so have a couple more um like reserve side games before taking on the big one Let's talk about that, comparing the American game compared to what's being played in Darwin and what's being played in Melbourne. Now, we know, obviously, in America, you, it's very rare that you have the opportunity to play 18-a-side football. Um, can you explain the differences that you first noticed, first of all, comparing against Darwin, and then, again, the different standard of Darwin compared to Melbourne? Yeah, so Darwin is kind of growing its game as well. Um, you're getting these newer women at the sport, so everyone's, like, first or second years, especially at Nightcliff. Um, we were bottom of the ladder um but you're getting these newer players who are just learning the sport which kind of draws that parallel to the states where it is a lot of women who are just learning about the sport never seen it and playing um so you do see some of the similarities in that and then coming to melbourne you're also around some newer girls but if you've grown up in melbourne or been in melbourne a few years you've watched heaps of footy experienced it gone to local footy so i think that's kind of the biggest difference between all of those Oh, there's a lot of talk that the Melbourne game is more inside football, more congested. Did you find that? Did you find that maybe perhaps a more outside running, faster, free-flowing game in Darwin compared to Melbourne? I think you do see some of that. You get a lot of really fit girls up there, especially because you're training in, you know, 33-degree weather with the humidity. It feels like 42. Um, and then you do have a huge presence of uh, Aboriginal girls who are – insane athletes they're amazing they get the ball and they can run straight down the line and no one can catch them so you are seeing some quicker pace 
around there. And then, yeah, in Melbourne, you are seeing some of the congestion, which you do see in the AFLW as well. Um, but even coming up from local um, to VFL, you're seeing such a improvement on that. How did it feel for you as a competitor, the differences to playing at Nightcliffe to Keelor? As you said, at Nightcliffe, it was a struggling team, particularly in that first season that you played up there, compared to being down here in Melbourne where for a majority of the season it was yourselves and Keelor, the Bendigo Thunder and the VU Western Spurs virtually in a three-way battle for the Premiership. Yeah, so up in Darwin, we were bottom of the ladder at Nightcliffe. Um, the first season, we didn't win a game. Um, we had a coach who kind of was a little, wanted to make a really good environment, which it did. A lot of the girls came back for the second season because it was so fun and we were such a good family. Um, but then the second season up in Nightcliffe, we got um, Shannon Miller, who's an amazing coach. She helps with Thunder and everything. Um, and she did bring us to the two um, wins that we got. But you are seeing just a difference in the seriousness from Nightcliff to Melbourne-based teams, especially in the NFNL that Keylor was. Can you explain the differences in, in training? Were you training more frequently in Melbourne and was the intensity higher? I'd say the intensity in Melbourne was higher. Um, in Darwin, you really don't train for as long just because, like I said, it's so hot and everyone like you train for an hour or so and then you're you're pretty wiped but in Melbourne where it's you know winter and you can train for two hours and the intensity is there because you are playing against teams like you said Bendigo and View Spurs who have such a high level of footy and such experience and depth that you do need that training and that intensity to beat them. As you mentioned in the interview that we had with you last year, you played predominantly in the centre at Nightcliffe in your first year and then you moved a bit down back and helped organise the backs. Um, how did it feel being at Keelor where you probably weren't probably taking on that leadership role as much? And from a few games that we saw the vision of, you seem to be thrown, if not in the centre, a bit more on the wing. Yeah, so I was playing on the wing a little bit in the centre and then on the half-forward line at Keelor. Um but like you said, I wasn't that kind of leadership role that I was used to at the Sockeyes and Nightcliff. Um, it was a lot of following the other girls and just trying to learn what to do and figure out from what they're doing, what I should be doing. And yeah, so it was, it was a big change, but I think finally got it towards the end and could raise up my voice a little bit and feel more confident on the field. How did it feel with your first finals campaign and particularly making the grand final? It was absolutely surreal. Um, the team was all around each other the whole time. We were all so proud. Um, unfortunately, we didn't win the grand final, which you never really prepare yourself for the feeling of losing the grand final. Uh, you always in your head imagine this big win, but um, you know it doesn't kill you, makes you stronger and makes you hungrier for actually getting that flag one day. Um, so it was, it was an amazing experience. One thing that you would have been introduced to as part of Australian culture is the footy trip. Now, I believe if I'm correct, the Keylaw girls made their way to Echuca. Can you explain that as an American for the first time of this Australian culture that, you know, we're used to growing up and your experience of, hey, we're all going away and essentially having a bit to drink for a weekend or so? Yeah, um, it was quite different. I actually flew in from the States. I went home for a wedding. I flew in the night before footy trip, so I was just a um, jet-lagged mess for this. But then um, as soon as it started, we were on, on the drinks. Um, but it is so different because in the States, we have the 
end of season like national. So all the teams meet up in one city and play each other. And it kind of encompasses that end of season trip where after all the games are over, it's just a huge party and everyone celebrates. Um, so when I kind of think of it like that, it's similar, but yeah, no, it's, it's fun that everyone just likes to get away with each other and have a bit of fun after all that athletics they were doing. So you went back to Darwin for your second season after tasting, albeit some success, uh, being runners-up uh, in uh, that season the NFNL in Melbourne. Uh, does it make you a little bit more restless when you're going back to a team that has finished bottom of the ladder? A little bit. I was really hopeful for Nightcliff, just knowing that we had um, such an experienced coach coming in. And a lot of girls, this would then be their second season or even third, fourth, fifth. Um, so I was really excited to get up there and then coming to my first and second trainings, seeing how improved these girls got from their, um, off season and preseason workouts. It was really, um, happy for me to see. And just, I had such high hopes for the season and we did get those two wins, which was amazing for the club. The first of those two wins was against St. Mary's and it featured one Chloe Shear of the Adelaide Crows, in which she played a couple of games for Nightcliffe. Can you explain it, what it's like having Chloe Shear in your environment? Nightcliffe Football Club, we are obsessed with Chloe Shear. She is such a great person and such an amazing footballer. Um, so having her there to be able to kick the ball so perfectly and just she was snagging goals from like 50 metres out during trainings and everything. Um, I think having that skill level around us and we all kind of a little starstruck when she was there um, really encouraged us to play our best game to kind of impress her and show her what we were made of at Nightcliff. And she certainly left an impression on you as we said getting that first win and I believe setting up the Go Chloe cheer squad when the uh, Crows played Fremantle up there in Darwin. (laughs) Yes, no, we we are we love her. Um, we all wore our Go Chloe shirts. Um, we were pretty sad when the one game she was um, suspended for for that tackle was the game she came back up to Darwin for. We were all excited to see her again, but um, we still watched all her games and just really impressed by her whole season and are all around her for her recovery from her knee again. The second win that you had for Nightcliffe uh, was against the Wanderers, a comprehensive victory in the end, 97-25. to 25. It all clicked for you that day. Uh, for you personally, two goals and named in the best. Yeah, no, it was a good game for us, especially the first time we played Wanderers. I think we only lost by about a goal, so we were really hungry for this win against them. So, And we, we did it, so we're pretty proud of that. So you finished the summer up in Darwin, and you're heading back to Melbourne. Obviously, you wanted to take your game to the next level. When did the talks originally begin for you to find yourself a VFLW club? It started back in probably like November, December, when all the teams were starting to have their open trial days. Um, Most of them open up days. So I was in contact with different coaching staff, kind of figuring out if I could come down, fly down from Darwin to try out and all of that. So I did make a couple trips down from the NT down to Melbourne uh, during the summer to train with some of the teams. And how many teams did you actually end up training with in the end? Um, Between the open trial days and training that I was invited to, I think it was eight. So a fair selection to choose from. What in the end made you want to choose the Collingwood Football Club? I, From the first training I went to with them, I was 
really impressed by the coaching staff and the girls. Um, they were so professional in their football, but also so welcoming and kind. They were just really nice to me and made me feel like I was already a part of the Magpies family, um, even while I was just training there. So I really liked the environment. What did you think your odds were of being signed by the Collingwood Football Club? Because we do have to remember that they were last year's minor premiers in the VFLW. Yeah, I didn't really expect to talking to Penny and everything through emails and first getting down there just because they were the minor premiers. They were top of the ladder at the end of the season. So I thought they were going to be a little pompous, a little, you know, pretty full of themselves, but they're, they're so great. And I just fit in really well. So um, the fact that they did open up this opportunity for me, I'm so grateful for it. You did mention Penny. That, of course, is Penny Kula-Reed, uh, their head coach and the VFLW Coach of the Year last year and a, a legend at the St Kilda Sharks Football Club. What have you been able to glean and learn off Penny so far? So much. I've learned from Penny already in this, what, two months I've been there. Um, she herself is such a good footballer and puts football before um, so many things and puts us so high on her priority list. Um her skills are amazing um, during training. So like jump into um, the drills and help kind of guide us through that. Um, so I feel like I've already learned just so many little things and I'm just going to learn so much more throughout this whole season. What has she looked at you specifically as a footballer and decided what you should become? Because we hear of players that as soon as a coach sees them, they might change their mindset of, oh, you might be a four, but no, we think you're a defender. As you've always said, you've been more of a centre player and on-baller. What role does Penny at the moment have in mind for you in particular? Yeah, so when I first came, I I knew I was always a centre, but I knew stepping up to this next level, I, I might not have the fitness or the game skill to do it. So they had me... Um, in the back line, they kind of thought I'd be pretty good at that. And then um, now they've moved me to the half forward line. So I think they're kind of seeing some potential in there, which I do have experience playing in the half forward line. So I feel more comfortable up there. So hopefully I can snag a few goals for Collingwood from that position. And there's talk that you're not the only international player there at the Collingwood football club on the women's side, because we knew there was Sarah Rowe, but I believe there might be another Irish woman there. Yeah, um, so we have Curly. She was part of the um, cross-coders program that came to Melbourne in September. Um, so she's been an amazing addition to the club, and it is it is kind of nice having someone else who is foreign on the team. And we should mention the name Mason Cox, of course, the most famous American to this point at the Collingwood Football <laughs> Club. You never know, you might exceed him. Uh, have you managed to cross paths with him yet? I've crossed paths with him a couple of times. He did come to the International Cup in 2017. Um, he was at Nationals last year. I've been able to chat with him. Um, so not since signing have I been able to cross paths, but maybe when I pull on the jumper, we can we can have a chat. You said signing. What has it been like as an American sitting there putting pen to paper to say, I am officially on a Collingwood football club list? It's still pretty surreal. Um, It just doesn't feel like I've done it because deciding to come to Australia um, like a year and a half ago, I didn't really expect to get this far and get this high and level. Um, So I am still kind of on cloud nine with it all. Um, Yeah, and I think everyone back home is pretty proud of me for reaching this level so far. 
Now, is the link with the Keelor Football Club still there? Because we know all the players that are on a VFLW list still nominate a community club. That being, of course, if they're not selected in the squad for that week and they're fully fit, they can go back and play for their community club. Uh, is that the case for you? Will Keelor be your nominated community club? So they won't be my community club this year, just from different factors. I've chosen to have Port Melbourne be my club this year. Um, but I'm still really good mates with all the Kilo girls, and I watched their first two rounds um, of footy in the EDFL this year. Well, it's good to hear that you're going to Port Melbourne. Just being a Port Melbourne supporter quietly on the side, so we'll give that a <laughs> big, we'll give that a big tick. How are you feeling coming into this practice game, which I think is the final practice game for Collingwood before your game on May five uh, against the Southern Saints? You're taking on uh, Essendon, at least on the male side of things, traditional rivals. You're meeting them at Windy Hill for the final practice game, and all being well, you'll be coming up against fellow American and fellow uh, Northwest coaster you could say in april lewis of seattle yeah i'm i'm think i'm most excited to play against april um her team the seattle grizzlies and my team the portland sockeyes are our rivals so you know having her on this team that we're playing in our last practice match i think it'll be good fun um we're good mates we hang out so um no bad blood there but it'll be fun to see uh which team wins this game I guess the question that the Portland Sockeyes will be asking back home is, when can they expect to see you back in the U.S. and wearing a Sockeyes jumper? That really is the big question, isn't it, Peter? Um, I am trying to get home for nationals in October this year in Sarasota, Florida. So hopefully can pull on my Sockeyes jumper then. Don't worry, I believe Heather Serpico has it freshly ironed for you, ready to go (laughs) at any given moment. I'm sure she does, waiting for me to come home. Outside of football, just for a moment, what has been your most memorable experience in Australia? Besides all the people I've met, because they're great and I'll remember them forever, I think just the sightseeing, like seeing this absolutely beautiful country, like you mentioned, climbing the mountain this weekend and just exploring like around Darwin, going to Litchfield and Kakadu, um, going down the Great Ocean Road, just having these Australian sights forever ingrained in my brain has been just an amazing opportunity. Now, obviously, you're hoping to be drafted come October and the uh, draft for the 2020 AFLW season. But before that ultimate goal of being drafted, what do you hope mostly as a footballer, any particular skill set that you would have improved on before the draft comes around? I think my game sense can improve a little bit. Coming from the States, I didn't really have an AFL background to draw on, but I did play soccer, so I kind of read the game like a soccer player. And I think I need to start reading the game more like a footballer, which I am starting to do, but really fully understand the game as these girls and men who have played it forever can do. Um, So I think that's the biggest thing I should improve on, besides some skill work and everything. And while you're out here, no doubt you would have been watching the AFLW. So is there any particular player that you would say that you resemble or at least that you're trying to resemble and you want to play in the way they go about their football? Um, I mean, we already spoke about Claire Shearer. I think she's an amazing um, forward and I really like how she plays and is able to kick goals. Um, also from the Crows, I really like Chelsea Randall. So she's in the back line, I think um, she's, is the most courageous um, voted. And I think how she plays that way, I really want to kind of encompass some of that play into my own game. 
Well, Jess, thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival Digital Radio and being very generous with your time. We wish you all the best in the practice match uh, this weekend as you take on Essendon at Windy Hill. And fingers crossed you'll be named in the starting lineup for the game against the Southern Saints, the season opener on May 5th at Moorabbin. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me. Joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival from the AFL Island Women's Competition. It's great to have on the line Michael Curran. Michael, how are you? Very good, Peter. Great to talk to you again. I hope all is good. Well, all is good over there in Ireland at the moment. You're racking up cups left, right and centre. As we spoke to William Schillibur two weeks ago, the West Clare Waves taking out the uh, AFL Europe Champions League title. And now for the Irish University's team, a Big win over the National Universities League of Great Britain on the weekend. 104-1, to 1, the final score. Yeah, it was a fantastic event at the weekend. Uh, a milestone game, the first ever international match at university level anywhere in the global footy community. So it was a big event. It was great to have the Great Britain NUL All-Stars over in Dublin. We were in a fantastic facility at the National Sports Campus and we had two great games, Irish universities taking on uh, GDB NUL All-Stars in both women's and men's games. Yeah, so for the the women's games, which I was coaching in, uh, absolutely fantastic results. Really dominant display by the girls. Um, A lot of them only playing football a very short time and they dominated the game from start to finish. And of course, it being a university's uh, test match, we're, we're anticipating most of the players are age 21 and under? 21 or, or would be about the average age there. We'd have a couple of girls slightly older than that, but generally that would be the age bracket you're looking at, yeah. So let's talk about the Irish performance. The final score in the end, 15-14, to just the one behind. Uh, we start, first of all, uh, Heather Cullen from UCD being named best on ground. Yeah, Heather from UCD was absolutely outstanding. She's only played a, a few games. She played in her university's cup um, a month or so ago with UCD, one of the new university club teams. And she was fantastic on Saturday, absolutely. Playing across half-back um, from start to finish was outstanding. Didn't do a thing wrong all day. So she was a very well-deserved winner of the best on ground. And following her then on, on the best on ground on our side, we had Dervla Higgins from Adelone Institute of Technology, Elio Gorman from Trinity College, Maria Byrne from Carlo IT, Gronia Quirk from University of Limerick, Laurie Ryan, University of Limerick, Shauna Kendrick from DCU, and Mary Hurley from UCC. And Mary Hurley also kicked in with uh, three goals on the goal-scoring side of things as well. Also chipping in with three goals, uh, Ali Coleman from UCD. Yeah, Ali had a great game. Um, from University College Dublin, uh, again, only playing a short while. Had played a few games last year in our sevens and our premiership and was uh, instrumental in setting up the new team in UCD. And she was playing uh, between the Rook and centre half forward. A tall, strong player, uh, very impressive all through the day with her three goals. We also had a couple of more multiple goal scorers. Then we had Olivia Barrish from uh, University of Limerick with two. Uh, Hannah Tobin Jones from DCU with two and then we had uh, Sorsha Nolan, uh, Becky Mahan and Emer Gallagher with goals as well. And I see uh, Amir Gallagher uh, from Letterkenny IT. If I'm correct, uh, she's the same 18-year-old who came to Melbourne in September as part of the Crosscoders program. That's right, PJ. Emer was over with us in Crosscoders in Melbourne. Uh, you would have met her and uh, she was back playing, uh, delighted to be playing representative footy and representing her country and sticking on the Irish jersey for the day. 
and down representing Letterkenny Institute of Technology up in Donegal. And just to give everyone a bit of a, an insight to the depth that we're seeing at the moment in Irish women's football, um, how many out of the university squad would have either A, played or trade with the um, Banshees or played in the senior women's AFL Ireland uh, competition in the previous year? Uh, in terms of playing with Banshees, we literally had one player and that would have been Elio Gorm from Trinity College. So outside of that, we had a squad of 23 on the day. So 22 of those 23 girls would never have represented Ireland before. So it was their first time um, playing international football. So from, from that point of view, yeah, it's absolutely huge to have that new depth of talent coming through. Uh, most of the rest of the girls then would have played very little, really only starting with the Universities Cup competition that we had literally about four to six weeks ago. Um, we had six new teams out that day, so that was a huge success. And this is where most of those players would have come from. And then we would have had maybe a handful of girls that would have played in our premiership last year with um, West Clare Waves, Dublin Angels, Portadown Power, uh, the likes of um, Dervla Higgins from uh, West Clare Waves. Um, Ali Coleman played a few games. Um, but again, it would have been very inexperienced in terms of, of games played. So all these girls are very new to the game and the universities is um, a huge potential area of growth for us here. So it's very exciting. Indeed, and I guess it's scary for the opposition, uh, particularly when we think about when we've got the AFL uh, European Cup on the horizon come uh, October, and of course IC 2020, that there's this much Irish talent coming through and they're sweeping aside uh, a Great Britain Universities team with such ease. Yeah, look, it's a, it's a great predicament for me and it's the one I'm happy to have But as, as coach of the Irish Banshees. But yeah, like on Saturday now, the, the talent of the girls is phenomenal and we have already all the girls playing um, in the, the Premiership and the Super 7 leagues here across all our clubs and we also have more girls and more clubs on the way. We've um, a range of new teams launched in, in Dublin and the surrounding areas over the last few weeks with some of our City Blitz events. So, yeah, it's fantastic that the numbers are still coming through, the girls are still coming through, and the, the battle and competitive, competitiveness now for full international places at Banshee's level, both at the Euro Cup in Sweden and the European Championships in London in October, will be huge. So that's a, that's a great problem to have. You just mentioned then the uh, Dublin City Blitz, which was played last weekend. Can you explain about the format behind that? And again, just a rough estimate of uh, the amount of new players that you've got coming through. Yeah, so really what we're trying to do is just focus on um, uh, growing the game in Dublin. Obviously, that's the main uh, centre of population here in Ireland. And we have all our regional clubs. We have um, Cork Vikings in Munster and the south. We have West Clare Waves in the west. We have uh, North East Cookabers and Portadown in the north. Um, we up to now only had Dublin Angels in um, Dublin. And after the University's Cup, we had a number of teams coming out of Dublin University, so I just saw there was huge potential there to get these girls involved and get them playing. So the City Blitz event was really a, a taster and a development event for new teams in Dublin, City, County and surrounding areas. So the, there'll be probably two or three of them over the next few months. The first one was a huge success, which saw us launch three new clubs on the day. We had um, the Lissy Blues, which is based on uh, Dublin City North. We had the West Dublin Garrisons, which is obviously West Dublin, and we had the North Leinster Giants, which are uh, based out of North County Dublin, uh, Louth and Meath. So they all joined Dublin Angels and they played a series of blitz games and, and had a great event. Um, so absolutely brilliant to see those new teams. And we have a further team joining us now 
Um, this Saturday actually is the start of our sevens and we have a new team coming from South Dublin Swans as well which is one of our established men's teams and so we're launching a women's team in conjunction with them so yeah it's huge potential rapid growth around Dublin and surrounding counties which is um, amazing to see and talking about the uh, rapid growth and things to help it along, uh, come middle of May, uh, the Crosscoders Irish Camp uh, will be held. Um, how many are we anticipating of those university uh, footballers will be showing up and taking part in that program? In terms of the camp uh, in in May, I, we're looking at there's going to be about 35 girls attending at the camp. At the moment, I would think off the top of my head from the, the universities, there's actually... Um, uh, nobody, as far as uh, as far as I'm aware, so that's uh, that. These girls are so new to the game that probably when they started playing, they wouldn't have even been aware of the the cross coders process. So definitely, I would think um, these girls are more uh, would be more in line for next season again, which is 2021. But for the camp as it stands, it's only about four weeks away. There's a phenomenal talent uh, already lined up at it, and huge excitement building here. There's definitely going to be more girls selected um, to go to AFLW for next season at the camp and the level of interest is so great that I wouldn't be surprised if there was even a couple of girls um, selected and signed before the camp so there's a, there's a bit of a friendly at the moment in terms of recruiting and that but yeah it's all very exciting but uh, these uni girls aren't even um, at that stage yet as they've just literally started so I would see them coming through and possibly a huge amount of them coming through in uh, the next wave of players um, at, at our next camp next year. And what's the mood amongst uh, AFL Ireland women's and its players as well with the news that uh, Sarah Rowe, Yvonne Bonner, Cora Stoughton, uh, Ash McCarthy and uh, Ash Considine are all going to be back playing again, all signed on for 2020? It's absolutely amazing. I suppose it's testament to the the success of the girls and how well they played in their first season. It was a huge achievement seeing five Irish girls take part in AFLW and it's, it's even better now that they've all been re-signed and as I say they, they all performed astoundingly well through the competition they grew into it game on game every single one of the players got better game on game so the more game time these girls play the, the better they're going to be as simple as that and I think it's just proven the point that these elite level Irish Gaelic footballers are more than capable of um, holding their own in AFLW and I'm definitely confident that we'll see uh, it's fantastic to see the five girls re-signed, but I'm definitely confident we'll see that many again, if not more, joining them for 2020. So it's hugely exciting and, and it's huge for promotion and growth of the sport here and there's great excitement amongst all the players. Well, Michael, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RACN Carnival Digital Radio. And we look forward to catching up with you a little bit later on as the AFA Island Women's Premiership season kicks into gear and as we get closer to the Euro Cup in Sweden. Thanks, Peter. Always a pleasure. Speak to you soon. It's time now to begin our State League's wrap, and we're going to have a quick look at the UNSW Canberra First Grade Women's Competition. No play over the Easter break, and play resumes for Round 2 this Friday night, 6.30pm at Kungarland Enclosed Oval, where the Jets play host to the Eastlake Demons. 3.45pm on Saturday at Allen Ray Oval. The Ainsley Tricolors play host the Balconan Magpies. And at 3.45pm on Saturday at Allensure Park, the Quimbian Tigers play host to the Tugrenong Hawks. And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival to preview round three of the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division, we've got on the line Lauren Hodson. Lauren, how are you? How was the Easter break? Yeah, look, it was a really good one, Peter. It's always nice to have a few days off in a row and uh, but ready to 
to get back into footy now. Yes, it all begins on Saturday the 27th of April, 10.50am down at Waverley Oval. Uh, UTS taking on the Sydney Uni Bombers. Yeah, look, I think UTS are going to be up against it. Um, Bombers have obviously started off the season strong. And uh, while UTS have have been one of the most improved sides over the last couple of years, um, I think it might be a a big win to the Bombers. 12.20pm this Saturday at Macquarie University Oval. Uh, Mac Uni play host to the Newtown Breakaways. Yeah, look, I think this could be a similar result to this, the first game. Um, obviously, Mac Uni will be a bit disappointed that they lost in round two to the newcomers, Eagles. And I think on their home ground, they're right, just going to be too good. At Waratah Oval, Saturday at 1.30pm, the Southern Power Play host the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs. Yeah, look, should be a really, um, really good contest. I think Power will, uh, will match up with uh, the Bulldogs early on. Um, but I think the Bulldogs will break away in the second half and um, end up winning, uh, you know, fairly comfortably. And finally, 3 p.m. at Pick and Oval this Saturday, Eastern. Uh, and finally, 3 p.m. this Saturday at Pick and Oval, the Inner West Magpies play host to the East Coast Eagles. Yeah, look, this should be another really interesting one. Um, obviously, uh, Inner West Magpies had a really good win in round one. And uh, the Eagles are coming off winning their first two games in Premier Division and uh, and beating uh, highly fancied Mac Uni. So uh, I think the Eagles might make it uh, three from three and, and there'll be a dream start for them in Premier Division. Well, Lauren, thanks for joining us very briefly uh, this week on Women's Australian Rules Football and RSN Carnival. And we look forward to catching up with you next week when we review round three of the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. Yeah, really looking forward to it, Peter. And joining us on the line now from the Two Grows podcast, it's Alison Schiller. Ali, how are you? I'm absolutely fantastic, Peter, on this wonderful Easter, post-Easter day. Good to hear, and I'm full of chocolate as well, courtesy of uh, (laughs) the Easter Sunday Easter eggs. Let's have a look at football that was played across Easter. Uh, It was round nine of the Sanford Women's Competition. And first of all, uh, North Adelaide with a percentage booster against Central District. Yeah, good Friday was very good indeed for the Roosters there. That's five in a row now uh, for them with an average winning margin of 42 points. And again, they showed no mercy to the poor old Bulldogs putting them to the sword as well. Lauren Daniel led the way for North, well supported by Kat Reynolds, Emma Sampson and Adrian Davies and Britt Perry, while Christy Castle also kicked three majors for the Roosters. Kelly Baltop continued her goal-kicking leaderboard domination, kicking another two bring her total tally for the season to 23. That's a lot of T's and twos in there. Uh, Bulldogs' Caitlin Teague and Jamie Lee Sonneman battled bravely, but it took to the final quarter before they registered their first goal through Courtney Jensen. Uh, North dominated all stats except for rebound 50s, and surprisingly, their hitouts were quite even in this game. For North, though, the disposals, Daniel 21, Reynolds 19, Samson 18, Davies, Greeks, Perry and Tynan 16. For the Bulldogs, Teague 17, Jamie Lee Sonneman on 14 and Fisher on 12. The goals to North there, as mentioned before, Castles uh, great three, Baltrops two and singles to the following, Davies, Daniel, Greek, Reynolds and Cancel. A great even spread of goal kickers for North, which would really um, keep spring in their step coming finals time. For the Bulldogs there, that solitary one there to Jensen, as mentioned previously. So the old Roosters can smell finals an opportunity. Well, the Bulldogs will have to sit this one out. North sit third and the Bulldogs sit seventh on the ladder. 
final score there, North Adelaide 11-7-73 to the Bulldogs 1-4-10. West Adelaide 5-5-35 survived a scare against the Woodville West Torrens Eagles 4-6-30. Yeah, oh, this was a potential upset on the cards, which would have given the Tigers fourth spot with the Westies going down, but the Westies did not give up, refusing to give the Eagles their much desperate and much needed first win and breaking their hearts by only taking the lead in the final quarter as well. The scores were even at three-quarter time, with both teams sitting on three goals, three apiece. But Westies' Melanie Elskud and Helen Maidment put paid to that. Jamie Tabb from the Eagles made it a goal of difference in the last couple of minutes of the game, but that was all she wrote. Marie Martino was all out attack on the body and the ball for the Bloods, while Farrier stood tall for the Eagles. So the disposals there for West, we had Owen on 18, Martino 16, Ballard and Newman on 15, Martin and Venning on 14. For the Eagles there, Farrier on 24, Tab 16, Walker 15, Lee 14, McDermott 12, and moving on in there to the goals for Westies, Martino 2, singles each to Elskud, Maidment and Smith. For the Eagles, Tab, Farrier, Taylor, Walker. <laughs> it's been crazy, and that's just quite funny. Um, this win keeps West Adelaide in the top four, while the Eagles will have to spectate the finals this year. Mind you, the Eagles are going to go all out to try and cause an upset next week, which could really shape the final four. West sit currently fourth on the ladder, and the Eagles sit eight. Glenelg, 9-5-59. Comfortable winners over Sturt, 2-5-17. Yeah, big win for the Tigers, keeps their finals hopes alive. But it will all be determined by other teams, and by other teams I mean the previous with West Adelaide. Uh, they need to go on and win well next week and hope the rest of the results go their way. Tigers also welcome back with very extremely open arms, dual premiership player and rising star award winner Ebony Marinoff. Uh, last week, Glenelg beat the reigning premiers and have really upped the ante with Marinoff adding more firepower than a jetpack to the team. She racked up 35 possessions and was all class all day. Moffey also added 10 clearances, 7 inside 50s and 6 tackles to her name. She has great support up forward with the likes of Ellen Forster, Lucy Armitage, Caitlin Gould, who um, is their ruck, all are very dangerous on the on the day. Forster with four was a standout. For the double blues, Georgia Bevan led possessions, while Maya Ridger laid a fantastic 12 tackles. Disposed for Glenelg, Noffy there with 35, Gould 18, Armitage, Armitage and Bellinger 17, Packer 16, Hartley on a 14. The shirt Bevan 15, Davies Matna 14, Griffith and Arinta 12. The goals there for Glenelg, Force of 4, Armitage and Gould 2, Bellinger a single. The shirt singles all round there, one each to Maple and Swan. The Tigers will be praying for a final spot if uh, the reigning premiers get the job done next week against West Adelaide and the Eagles don't upset the party against them. Tigers sit fifth and the Blues sit sixth. In the standalone game on Easter Saturday, the reigning premiers, South Adelaide, 5-6-36, defeated the inaugural Sandford Women's Premiers, Norwood, 4-5-29. I know, first and second on the ladder and what a clash of the Titans it was down at Flinders Uni Stadium. And it did not disappoint. As you mentioned, the reigning Premier South gave the Red Legs their first loss of the season. And the Panthers, let's face it, they needed this um, as a major miracle will be required to knock Red Legs off top spot and also from being minor round Premiers. 
in a hard-fought game where stats-wise only the hit-outs were heavily weighted in South's favour. The red legs also led at half-time before, quite frankly, the Panthers tore them a new one in the third quarter, dominating and kicking three goals for to absolutely 0.0. Kavoris, as usual, was in everything for the Panthers. Housen was up to her eyeballs in it. Tia Charlton mastered everything, including laying a fantastic 14 tackles. But we'll have to get her kicking boots recalibrated, kicking five behind. Nikki Gore and Cheyenne Hammond were hard at it as well. Usual suspects were at it for the legs, with Nasla Allen, Hannah Dunn and Sally Riley all playing important roles in an amazing game. For South there, the disposals were Kavoris 22, Housen 20, Charlton 18, Gore 15, Hammond and Munyard on 14 apiece. For Norwood, Allen 24, Dunn and Riley on 20, Priest on 14. Goals there for South, we've got Bennett, Buchanan, Housen, Munyard and Page all getting into the action with Hollick kicking two for Norwood, Hill and Riley also getting a single each. Well, finals, here we come. Both these teams should have a big say at the pointy end of the season, and I cannot wait. And because of, well, logic, there is no football being played in the Sanford Women's this weekend. We have to wait another weekend just to play the final round, and that means games on Saturday, the 4th of May. I might as well get your tips now, Ali, while we've got you on the line for round 10, the final round. Sturt versus North Adelaide at Peter Motley Oval. Yeah, Sturt versus North. Uh, North are sitting pretty in third spot, but a slip-up from South could see them as high as second on the ladder, and surely this is motivation enough to get the Roosters over the line. North there for me. At Alberton Oval, Central District versus Norwood. Yeah, so this is probably what you could call the only dead rubber for the final round. The Bulldogs are playing for pride and the Red Legs want to get back in the winner's circle and put the wind up the other team. I'm predicting the Red Legs to take this one out, Peter. At Flinders University Stadium, South Adelaide play host to West Adelaide. Yes, can West Adelaide upset South at home? Because this is what they're going to have to do to stop a tiger-shaped doorway from opening up as they look for an opportunity to leap into the finals and over top of West Adelaide into the top four. So will the Panthers cement second spot? With both sides having everything to play for, this should be an absolute cracker. But I'm going to go hometown advantage for the Panthers here. And at ACH Group Stadium, it's the Bays versus the Eagles. Yes, as just mentioned, the Tigers need the Panthers to do them a solid and beat the West Adelaide Blood, and they also need to do the same. But the Eagles are still searching for a, uh, their first win, and after nearly upsetting Westies last week, they should take some confidence into this round. But the Tigers' form of late has been red hot again, and I'm predicting the Tigers to win out in this one, which should make it very interesting for the top four, Peter. Well, Ali, thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we look forward to catching up with you in a couple of weeks' time when we review Round 10 of the Sample Women's Competition. Excellent. Thank you very much, Peter. And joining us on the line now to have a look at Round 3 of the QAFL Women's Competition from AFL Queensland. It's great to have on the line Ant Wingard. Ant, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Not too full of chocolate Easter eggs, luckily, but uh, <laughs> hopefully you had a great Easter break as well. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Just, you know, did the rounds of the family, lots of food, and like you said, lots of chocolate. It was really good, yeah. Let's have a look at round three action for the uh, QAFLW because it's back again this week. And if I'm correct, a number of uh, Lions and future Suns players are now back playing in the Quaffle W. Yeah, this is, it, you're right. It's really probably the 
kind of start of a, a new season almost when you have so much talent kind of re-emerging in the competition and it, you know, it's enough players and, you know, and enough teams to really change the outcome of games. So it'll be, it'll be different to see teams that, you know, may have struggled, um, in the opening two rounds, you know, and they get a few players back, how that kind of changes their lineup and their results. Um, and obviously, you know, a few more teams that are, you know, might have, you know, lost by a kick or so, how they'll fare, um, bringing, you know, that amount of talent back into their ranks, as you said. A few interesting games for this round, and we'll start with your tips by leading off with Wilston Grange versus Bond University. Uh, oh, I, I think it, this one is probably the hardest one to, to tip, if I'm honest. You've, you've, you've caught me uh, with the tricky one off the get-go, and I think that's because Wilston Grange, I know we've mentioned it um, last week when we chatted, they've just endured so much change Um over the summer and a lot of that has been their kind of AFL women's contingent has really gone elsewhere and there's only a few I think Kate Lutkins um, is obviously still remains there but a lot of the names Shannon Campbell's gone to um, you know they're they're really a new team this year you know Bond University well both teams have got new coaches but Bond will probably welcome back the likes of Ariana Clark uh, Lauren Bella who's now the at the Suns and obviously Crystal Scott as well who, who flies her trade down there um, I think I'll, I'll tip the Bull Sharks in this one. I think, you know, just their results um, over the first two rounds, they really seem, um, obviously both teams are one and one, but I really think that Bond, they, they, they're they a new team. I know I mentioned that with Wilson Grange, but there's something different about this team. And I feel like after their first season in the competition last year, they've really taken that next step, the next step uh, this year. And I, I think they'll probably get the better of the Gorillas. At Leishon Park, it's Yoronga South Brisbane versus the UQ Red Lions. I think I will have to give Yoronga in this one, obviously. Um, two wins from two to start the season. Obviously, UQ still searching for their first win. But um, I think you look at the names that Yoronga will kind of get back into the team this week, and we we'll probably mention it often, but um, the likes of Jesse Keith, uh, Jordan Zanchetta, obviously Sam Burgo's been playing for the opening two rounds. But, you know, that's a real new midfield. Um, for them, obviously, they've got Jackie Yorston coming across from Wilston Grange and Gabby Collingwood from UQ, um, who obviously plays against her former side um, for the first time this week. So I really expect that Yoronga midfields um, to, to kind of get on top of UQ. They've really, they've really struggled um, in the opening two rounds, and you know, hopefully they're not too far off of their first win under uh, Lee Whitehorn, but uh, I, I probably expect Yoronga to get the win there. An intriguing matchup at Voxen Oval. Pardon me, an intriguing matchup at Voxen Oval. The Apsley Hornets versus Maroochydore. Hmm, this is probably the game of the round. I'm calling it early, but I'm really exciting to see um, how this one shapes out. Obviously, uh, Maroochydore got their first win in just about a year uh, in round two, and then Apsley, who got the, round, the win in round one, lost in round two, but kind of remains quite competitive against Yoronga in that loss. And obviously, they have a new team in the competition. It's I feel this game's a really good litmus test for both sides to, to kind of see um, how they'll stack up against the rest of the competition. Um, but I think after after their just great win um, a week prior, I probably tip Marucha in this one only because um, I think I expect Shannon Campbell to play her first game of the season. Um, I think there is a few more kind of state league um, programs um, in terms of, you know, rep footy on this week and again, so Marucia will be without the likes of Bell Doors and 
uh, Lily Postlethwaite, who kind of are in the Queensland State Under-18 team, um, and they're brought in this year. But uh, I, I still think Rooshaw, running high off the win, a uh, few names back, I think they'll get the better athlete. And finally, at Giffen Park, it's the old rivals, Cooper Roo versus Cullingatta Tweed. Yeah, see, this is this is interesting because I really feel like this is a, a danger game for uh, Cooper Roo. Obviously, one of the best sides going back for the last five years in the in the competition now, and to start the season zero and two, it's you know it's not you know easy going for them um, in games, but against Cool and Gatter, who, as you said, they have a storied rivalry with. They, I know uh, Jess Wushner will be back this week. I think the likes of Jade Ellinger and um, Emma Pittman, uh, now the Suns, obviously, they'll be back um, for the Kings this weekend. They'll probably still be without Ali Anderson, who really gives them a lot of drive out of that midfield. But it really is a new-look Cooper team heading into round three. And, uh, like, it, it's so hard to tell just considering how, how good they've been, uh, like uh, Cool and Gatter have been and how almost bad Cooper have been in the opening two weeks because Cool and Gatta Tweed, while Cooper, you know, have been quite bad and are bringing back a host of names that should make them more competitive, Cool and Gatta, they only have a few names um, to come back in. Obviously, Leah Kasler, um is still on her way back from uh, injuries, but, you know, I'm sure she'll be on the sidelines in some capacity. And uh, Bree McFarlane's really the only other AFLW player that will come back for Cool and Gatta this week. So it's a bit of a contrast there. I think just given the form of the opening two rounds, Cool and Gatter, you know, they sit on top um, of the competition, conceded 20 points in the opening two games, which is just incredible. Um, even with the names back, I, I think Cooper, uh, Cool and Gatter will get the better of Cooper on that one, I think. Well, and thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we look forward to catching up with you next week when we review round three of the QAFL Women's Competition. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Well, that concludes Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival for yet another week. Just a friendly reminder, this program is available as a podcast from Thursday mornings by going to Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, iTunes or Spotify and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. You can also find us online at warfradio.com. And you can hear the program as it debuts Wednesday nights, 6 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time on RSN 927's digital radio channel, Carnival. Now, I do want to make note that the following weekend, that is May 4th and 5th, the VFL women's season gets underway for 2019. There is a standalone round one match being played on Sunday, the 5th of May, and it's the Southern Saints playing host to the Collingwood Magpies at Moorabbin. We'll be there live. You'll hear all the details next week right here on this program or go to our website at warfradio.com for the full schedule. We look forward to bringing you yet another season of VFL women's football. Until next week, I'm Peter Holden and it's bye for now.